0: On this edition of the Good Morning Hamilton podcast, Scott Radley sitting in for Rick Zampern today. We're going to be talking to Donna Skelly, MPP for Flamborough, Ancaster, Glanbrook. She says she is terribly disappointed with Hamilton Council's position on the Greenbelt. We'll talk to her about why that is. Victoria Mancinelli from Leuna joins us. They have written a letter to the city expressing their displeasure with the location of the tiny home pilot project. That's going to be right behind Leuna station. We will talk to her. We're going to get into COVID and it's possible return to the classroom. Oh, really? Again? Yep. Yeah. McMaster football is back. Beat Dykowski and Steven Clark join us. We're going to talk Mac football. Andy Fantuz joins us and we're going to get into Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Well, no, just Snow White. The remake. Is this a disaster? What is going on with this? If you don't know this story, you're going to want to find out. Stick around.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: You know, as well as I do, that there are a number of issues that are going on in this city right now and beyond this city that are the top of the passionate argument scale. Encampments being one of them, tents, tiny homes, all that kind of thing. Huge, huge participation and people having strong views on this. The other one, of course the green belt, the urban boundary. Well, one of the people who has spoken about this uh, many times, not necessarily uh, the way that council has spoken on this, is a former city councillor. That would be MPP Donna Skelly. Uh, this week, she described the council's Hamilton Council's green belt stance as terribly disappointing. I want to bring Donna Skelly onto the show this morning. Donna, how are you? I'm very well. Good morning. Why terribly disappointing? What, what, why do you believe that their position is that?
2: Well, I understand how frustrating it is to try to get anything done in the city of Hamilton. When I sat on council, I spoke with people who tried to get a minor variance, build a shed, build a home, and it they seem to be up against delay after delay after delay. We are in the middle of a housing crisis, not just in Hamilton, but across the country, and we have to build homes. And this this city, this council, seems to be putting up every possible roadblock so that we can't achieve the goal of, of building enough homes to house the people who are either living in or moving to the city.
0: We had a uh, mayor, the mayor on here, Andrea Horvath on this station. I can't remember what show she was on, but she was on the station a week or two ago. And she said that there are, and, and I stand to be corrected. It was either 32 or 37,000 homes in the system, construction, housing units builds that are somewhere in the system between getting started and getting built does that not suggest that there is enough space even without the green belt to be able to do what they need to do
2: i don't think so and and scott i i recognize the need to build along transit lines and and that we have to have some form of intensification but you can't build all you cannot house this many people in the um the current boundary and and staff Actually, brought that to council and stated that the existing boundary could not accommodate the projected growth to 2051. Those aren't my numbers, that wasn't my point, that was from staff. They were told to go back and figure it out. My point is, we have people that want to build a home, that want to own a home, and the cost of buying a home in the city of hamilton pretty much anywhere actually in in canada is out of reach for so many people that's why we have to grow the number of homes increase supply so that we can allow young people new canadians to realize the dream of home ownership we did and i think that they they deserve that same that same right and that did- same opportunity
0: didn't the Auditor General, though, and I know that uh, Ward 12 Councillor Craig Gassar has said this, ha- haven't we had a number of people who have said that we do have enough space within the existing zone that we don't have to expand into the, ur- expand the urban boundary?
2: The numbers that they're quoting, and first of all, I'll go back to what the, the staff recommended, stating that they couldn't accommodate the projected growth. And that was before we had 500,000 people move to Ontario last year. That prediction was before this massive growth in immigration. Coupled with the 500,000 people that came to Ontario last year, most of whom are settling in the GTHA, we have 800,000 foreign students coming to Canada, most of whom live in Ontario. We don't have enough rentals. We do not have enough homes. We know it. We are in a crisis and this city council doesn't want to do what needs to be done to address that that shortage.
0: You mentioned the the difficulty sometimes in getting things built in Hamilton. I've heard that from people. We I think we've probably all heard that from people whether it's developers or just you know rumbling that it's it's difficult sometimes to get things pushed through. If Hamilton could change that, if they could make it easier to get things done, does it solve the problem could you build then the homes that we need within the existing boundary? If if no, if the red no. tape was taken away,
2: no, but I can tell you what it would do is it wouldn't drive the price of homes up. I mean, if every year they delay the uh, development, that home escalates. The cost of that home escalates. Let's look at what's happening at Jamesville downtown uh, by the waterfront. That project has been delayed for years now. And the cost of getting and purchasing or even renting in that facility now has, has probably doubled since um, it was first proposed. Delays cost money. And builders don't eat those those additional costs. They pass them on to the consumer. That's just driving the cost of a house up. But I want to talk about the green belt. You know, one of the things we're talking about, one third of 1% of the green belt, which is 2 million acres. One, think about it, one third of 1% is the land that we're taking out of the green belt. And then we're putting in more land, we're actually increasing the size of the Greenbelt by 2,400 acres. People don't talk about that. It seems to be lost in the discussion. And, and the city of Hamilton back in 2021, it was the mayor at the time, so it would been Eisenberger, actually approached the province and said, please remove this land, the land in Stony Creek, from the Greenbelt. The bulk of the land that's coming out of the Greenbelt was actually uh, requested by municipalities, they know that that land is needed to build homes, to accommodate the projected growth. They approached the province and asked that that land be removed. The other thing that people aren't aware of, and I think it's it's really uh, misleading, this is not government land. This isn't owned by the government of Ontario. This is privately owned land. And some of these landowners have owned this land for decades, 30, 40 years it was simply designated Greenbelt. This piece, for no reason, there was no particular reason. Nobody went and said, oh, this is very you know precious farmland. We're going to put it in the Greenbelt. It was someone with a map and a marker. This street in the Greenbelt, this street is not. It didn't make sense. The land that is coming out is adjacent to already developed land. The developers must have shovels in the ground within two years. They're also committed to... Millions committing to millions and millions of dollars in community um, services, they have to put in all of their own roads and, and uh, water wastewater sewer systems, they have to commit to building hospitals, um, parks, uh, community centers, etc., so there's an awful lot of good attached to this mm. project. Why the city is putting up Sony Roblox, I don't understand.
0: Don, I, I have 15. Think
2: they know the land that they're talking about.
0: I have 15 seconds. It's totally unfair to ask you this in 15 seconds. But because the RCMP says they're now investigating, should anything be built on these lands until that's done? And then we can discuss this once it's finished. Or should should the police investigation be done before anything happens?
2: The RCMP could drag its heels forever. No, I disagree. Uh, no. My answer
0: is no that is donna skelly mpp for Ancaster, flamborough glenbrook I, I think i got that backwards um but oh uh, you know th- that area uh appreciate you doing. You it. actually got it right did i get it right okay yes, well by accident uh it's early in the morning i uh, appreciate you coming on thanks for doing this today
2: anytime you're
1: listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml
0: a lot of stuff to get to this hour i want to get really quickly though for a few minutes here into um the situation with the tiny homes, we know this situation that there is a pilot project that's going to be set up right behind Leuna Station. There's a meeting, a public meeting about it on Saturday, tomorrow. However, Leuna has written a letter to the mayor, CC'd Ward 2 councillor Cameron Cretch, whose ward it's in. In it is a line, there's a bunch of things it's worth reading. Uh, we are left dismayed as to the lack of transparency, lack of consultation and lack of communication that has been provided regarding this controversial initiative. I want to bring in Victoria Mancinelli, uh, who is the director of public relations, marketing and strategic partnerships with LiUNA. Victoria, thanks for this, this morning.
3: Absolutely. Good morning.
0: This is, um, it's very clear from the letter that has been written from LiUNA that one of the, there's a number of concerns. One of them though, seems to be the lack of consultation on this. Explain what you think should have happened with this.
3: You know, I think when you're dealing of something of this magnitude and as sensitive as addressing our homelessness in Hamilton, you should be talking to the surrounding community, getting community support and input so that this pilot can succeed. Speak to local businesses in the area, not to mention, you know, La Una has been af- building affordable housing in the city for over 40 years. Speak to business in the area, speak to community. Let's get on the same page so we can work collaboratively not be, you know, getting these decisions shoved down our throats and learning about them after the fact without any discussion.
0: Your business, the Leuna Station, is right there. So I'm guessing that have people from the area, I know a number of people from the area have spoken out. Have you heard from them with their comments on this?
3: We have, absolutely. They are also concerned with the lack of communication and the process in which this came to be. They're also concerned, you know, because we've had, some incidents regarding encampments on Layuna Station grounds, and there has been little to zero support from the city, and we have had to deal with that on our own. So there's no assurance from the city that should something happen that they would step in.
0: There is a public meeting on Saturday. Uh, the, the ward counselor is going to be hosting that about this but there are people who say, I'm not really sure why we're having a meeting because this has already been decided. Is that your position? Do you, do you believe that if the voice of the public is, we want this change, do you believe that anything is going to change or do you believe it's a fait accompli?
3: Speaking optimistically, I would hope that this meeting is taking seriously the concerns of community. However, I did see the local councillor come out and basically say, We'll listen, doesn't mean we have to agree, but the location is decided upon and I'm not changing your mind. So right now it seems like he's only doing this for political points and try to backtrack on a poor decision that was made. And it just sounds like political baloney. If we actually cared, which we do, to see this pilot be successful, then it is contingent on a location that makes sense. And the current location does not even meet half of the criteria that has been set out by HAP.
0: It is, uh, it is a hot button issue, there is absolutely no question about it. Um, the letter, uh, people can find it online, I am sure. Is there anywhere else, uh, Victoria, is there somewhere people can go to easily to find this letter?
3: Right now it's only on social media. Um, I'm not sure if the city is going to be posting it. We have had little reply back except from the Ward 2 councillor. We have not heard back from the Mayor or anybody else from the city. So um, we're hoping that they can get it out. Otherwise, we will have to voice our concerns on Saturday at the meeting. Mm.
0: Uh, Victoria Mancinelli, Director of Public Relations, Marketing, and Strategic Partnerships for LIUNA. I really appreciate you jumping on on short notice. Thanks for doing this.
3: Thanks so much, absolutely.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: This is probably the one that you don't want to hear us talking about. It's got nothing to do with our guest. It's got to do with the topic because it involves COVID and there are reports that, you know, we're having a new strain of COVID and well, kids are heading back to school soon. Should we be concerned about this? Is this something, especially with our kids that should be front of mind or do we say, you know what, let's just keep it on the back burner until we need to not have it on the back burner. Dr. Andrew Park is the president of the Ontario Medical Association. Doctor, thank you for this today.
4: Uh, thanks for having me.
0: Well, what do you say to that? Is this something that parents should be sitting at home uh, gnashing their teeth about what's going to happen with COVID, or is this one of those things where they say, "You know what? We can send our kids off to school comfortably and not
4: worry about it until we have to worry about it." It's a great question. You know, I think that um, after three years of the pandemic and coming out of it, this is—you know—we're heading to what. Is our, I guess, our new normal and uh, a sense of a new baseline, I suppose. So I think the key message is is that we're really um, looking forward to having kids be at school, be, um, you, you know, be somewhat of their normal selves, uh, be able to just be kids. And I think in order to do that, what we're really talking about is what is on the horizon and what viruses do we need to be aware of, and and how do we protect ourselves and our children from. Um, from getting them and being really sick from them. And that's, that's really what the conversation is about.
0: What have we learned over the time of COVID now? Not generally, there's lots and lots of things. I'm talking about kids in school because it's not just the COVID virus that is at play here. There's been tons of talk about, well, we may have protected kids against COVID, but there's mental health issues or emotional issues or things that rise in the social
4: issues that come out. What have we learned and where's the balance? Yeah, um, another great question, because I think what we learned was a couple of things. Number one is that um, the initiatives that we, we we did worked. I mean, they, they kept our community safe. Uh, we had amongst one of the lowest death rates in the world. Uh, um, so it worked for what we were trying to do at the time. Um I think that uh, carrying on the vaccine conversation that vaccines worked, uh, having mass vaccination campaigns allowed us to to get to this point, uh, or was one of the major factors in any case. Um, but also that there were unintended consequences, and um, and certainly we know that we're we're behind um, in in a lot of pediatric development, um, you know, literacy and social and behavioral and. And mental health concerns are predominate um, the discussion and and where we see our kids lagging. Um, The good news is that um, there is a degree of neuroplasticity in our children that that allows us to have this conversation and be really intentional about saying, how do we recover from those effects?
0: There's another thing about this too, and it's a really fascinating part of this whole story, that um, during COVID, while we were battling COVID and social distancing and vaccinating and getting masks and all the rest, Basically the flu disappeared. Uh, There were almost no cases of the flu reported in Canada, which there have been people now who have said, you know, we saved kids from COVID perhaps, or we kept them from getting COVID, but there are immunities that build up when kids get sick occasionally with the flu or with something else, do we worry that because kids have not been exposed to these other things, not COVID, the other things, that they are now more susceptible when they go back to school? Are we expecting more cases of the flu than normal we would have had because they haven't been exposed to it in the last few years?
4: I mean, that's certainly part of it. We look at our southern hemisphere colleagues in, in Australia for example and just say what has their experience been like and that helps us model what ours what we could anticipate it's not um not exact science but but certainly um you know it's better to be prepared and anticipate based on what they're experiencing there's been a trend of what they experience we can experience some form of um and and they've had a particularly severe uh, flu season so I think it wouldn't be surprising to say that that's what we're in for when it comes to viruses like um, influenza, RSV, and and COVID. So when we talk about that triple threat, it's it's definitely there. Um, But but there's again there's there's measures that we can take to ensure that from a community standpoint, from a safety standpoint, that we're there. Vaccines being amongst them. And if you're sick, stay home if you're able to. I realize that not everybody is. Um, you know, everybody certainly has their own economic situation and that's certainly to be respected. But if you have the capacity to stay home or socially distance or work remotely while you're feeling ill, do so, um, because it's, um... It's, uh, you know, that decreases spread, it keeps our vulnerable safe. Um, and, and that's what, you know, this is these, these types of things are really community efforts, They're, Mm. they're about everyone pitching in.
0: I don't know if you have kids in school, but if you did, and you were a parent, would you be sending your kid to school in a mask? Or do you say, no, that's just, you know, let's get on with normal. And again, we'll cross that bridge when it comes.
4: Yeah, I, at this point, I'm willing to, uh, you know, I'm absolutely, you know, I, I take the advice of our public health experts and if they're saying and what they determine for the schools is appropriate, if they say no mass and I'm happy with that. Um if, if our kids, you know, there are a lot of kids with symptoms or not, then we can make that individual decision and, and take our guidance from from whatever public health tells us. But I'm, I'm very comfortable with that, yes.
0: Dr. Andrew Park, president of the Ontario Medical Association, really appreciate you taking time on this one today. Thank you.
4: Absolutely. Thank you anytime.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Disney
0: is remaking Snow White. That's where that song is from, is remaking Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. It's not Snow White and the Seven Dwarves now, it's just Snow White. And there is all kinds of controversy swirling around this. You wouldn't think that a remake of a classic Disney movie could spur such response. But people are upset that the Seven Dwarves have been replaced by seven, well, pictures have emerged, seven people who... um, Well, kind of look like they're leaving a methadone clinic for lack of a better description. Uh, The lead actress who's playing Snow White has done interviews where she's talked about how she hated the original movie and it's all dated. And the prince was a stalker and who needs true love? This is about, you know, women finding their power. And well, there's a lot of people who are fans of Disney diehards who are saying, uh, what is exactly going on here? I want to bring in Ryan McCormick from Goldman McCormick Public Relations. Uh, Ryan, how are you this morning?
5: I am doing unbelievable, and it is a great honor to be with you and your listeners. I
0: love that uh, you're. I love that you're on here. So, listen. Uh, the thing about this is, Disney's entitled to make whatever movie they want, and they probably yep. will still make money on this. It does, however, seem like the public relations leading up to the release of even the first trailer have kind of poked their finger in the eyes of Disney traditionalists and Disney fans and kind of said, yeah, what you like, you don't, You shouldn't like that anymore. It's kind of old school. Am, am I reading this right?
5: Well, you know, I'd say this, especially in the U.S., is that Disney has taken a reputation hit in the sense that a lot of people who grew up at Disney have turned away because of their political positions. So as Disney has become more political and more engaged, It wouldn't even matter what they were doing with this particular film. They're going to have people that are going to be pushing away from it. And I think we're seeing not only Disney, but a lot of other companies that are taking on these social uh, messages or social responsibility messages that are coming across the same buzzsaw, where you're going to have people that are really going to be embracing it, but other people are not. So I'd say this is not surprising that Disney is doing this. The backlash is to be expected, but it's just overall it seems to be this cultural shift where – uh, the people today do not like or they reject uh, things that are in the past rather than saying, okay, well, it's part of the past. Um, they just reject it all and just, you know, they they feel that they have this accumulated wisdom where their ways and their beliefs uh, still have supersede those of yesteryears, whereas, uh, you, know, they, you know, they're striking a balance, but uh, this is to be expected.
0: There is one difference, though, I, th- I think, with this one, and that is Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, that movie essentially was the movie that built the Disney empire. He, ri- Walt Disney risked everything, if we go back and look at our history, risked everything to make that movie, and if it had failed, there would be no Disney World, no Disneyland, no Walt Disney Studios. Is it weird, then, public relations-wise, for someone who is acting in this movie to basically be slamming that original, as opposed to embracing the original while also embracing the one they're making now?
5: I'm just saying, don't you know if it's weird. It is just, I think that that is who the actor actress is. She believes that she's doing the right thing. And uh, the fact is that if if there was a greater pushback against Disney for it, and Disney was, was saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, then she probably would not be doing this. If her fan base... Was really, uh, cuts the backlash and they were, and they were really, you know, kind of calling for her to leave the role. She would not be doing this. Uh, you know, you could go out and state your political opinions or state your, your personal feelings so much to the point where if it jeopardizes your employment, if it jeopardizes the project, it is going to be disastrous. So as of right now, you're probably going to have some people that are going to embrace this new version of Snow White and a oh, some people are probably not. And I think that there's a lot of this country saying, well, you, you can't have the seven dwarfs. You can't have the prince wake her up. I mean, quite frankly, I, I'm like, I live the Snow White morning. I live Snow White every day when I wake my wife up. It's not because she, I, you know, she, I kiss her, and she's like, oh, my friends," It's because my breath is so awful. She's like, oh, my God. Is it? Ryan,
0: is it, though? So one of one of the
4: issues.
5: <laughs> They could have, they
0: could have had to this. Ryan, one of the issues that has been raised here though, and, and I really think it's an interesting one is, is the original Snow White then outdated? This is, this is one of the suggestions. It's just too outdated. Are these the kind of things that Disney as a company with all of its old movies should be looking at and saying, we have to start peeling some of these old movies out of our canon or out of our parks or out of things because they really are outdated.
5: Yeah, David. I mean, all films are a reflection of the values of the time, and I know that there's this. This there seems to be this push and say, well, we have to get rid of these films. It's like just look at them as historical relevance and say that's where humanity was. That's those are the values of the culture at that particular time. And for for many many years, uh, some of those classic films have, you know, have been enjoyed for generations. So, I mean, instead of, you know, rejecting your past, just accept it. I mean, that's one thing to do, but if they feel compelled to do it, they, they feel compelled to do it. That is their perspective. But from a PR perspective, when you have people that have, have come to know your product because of the, your previous deeds and your previous uh, engagements, if you reject your history, in some ways you reject the people that have embraced that. Mm. So I, I, yeah, as far as what Disney's doing, I mean, I guess they're, they're, they're saying, well, we have to do something that's with, with today's you know values, and I, I guess they'll do whatever they want to do, but if if they're doing it because they feel that this need to be political or that they feel a need to express certain values, they need to accept the fact that they are going to be alienating individuals and people that have previously embraced and enjoyed their the, the previous films. So, um, you know, in one way, they, they, they're trying to do some good, but they're also alienating some people. And this, this not only just goes for Disney, but this goes for a lot of companies sure. today. Sure. Sure. Sure.
0: Ryan McCormick from Goldman McCormick Public Relations. Thanks for doing this, Ryan. Really appreciate you jumping in.
5: It is a great honor. You have an amazing show, and I think the world will live. So thank you so much for having me.
0: There you go. Uh, Ryan
5: McCormick.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Hi, Cats game coming. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, against the BC Lions in BC. I don't want to say this game is really, really, really important. Um, but this game is really, really, really important. Let me bring in Andy Fantuz, uh, CFL great, former Ticat, now analyst with TyCats Audio Network. Andy, how are you this
6: morning? Hey, Scott. Good morning. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you?
0: Uh, I am good. So uh, I don't think I'm overstating it too much by saying this game is kind of important to them, am I?
6: Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, starting the back half of the season now, uh, it's going to be important to get off to a good start. and. It's a tough one going out to BC and playing a, a team that's that's pretty hot right now. The quarterback's playing really well. They've got uh, some great, you know, weapons on that team. And, and, and defense is arguably the best in the league. Uh, probably them in Toronto, you would say, would be the top two defenses. So not an easy task, but, um, you know, I think Hamilton has played BC pretty well as of late. I think winning three of the last four games and all those games going down to the last three minutes. So, yeah. Uh, should be a good game. I, I don't expect. Uh, I know all the columnists are, you know, saying it's going to be a BC win, but I think Thai Cats are going to put up a good fight, and um, it's an interesting start time too, being out in BC and being four o'clock local time. Uh, I don't think I've seen that um, very often, if at all, in my career, anyway. Mm. So it's kinda, kind of kind of an odd. Uh, time for them
0: yeah well you know and when you say that the people are all calling for a bc win let's i mean let's be honest last week against edmonton um i, I would I, I would categorize that as the low point of the season losing to a team that had come in winless you're if you're the Cats, uh inside the dressing room or outside i think you probably have something to prove that that was not who you really are
6: yeah absolutely that one i mean that one hurt all all of us the whole tiger town nation and uh and, um, but coming in with Scott Milanovich coming in right before that game, trying to implement some of his new offense, uh, you can only put so much in in, in one week. So I expect that to continue to develop the, uh, the playbook and just the, 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 the fluency and the progress of the offense. So, uh, I hope to see, to see that. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, I think you you played an Edmonton team that was hungry and executed at a very high level throughout that game. So uh, this is the CFL. I know Edmonton was 0 and 9, but really anybody can beat anybody in this league, and um, so you got to bring your A game. And Edmonton played really well, so you got to give it
0: your hat to them. Uh, unquestionably. I mean, they, they did not play like an 0-9 team in that game. There's no question about that one. Here's the other reason why uh, I think t- tomorrow night is so important for Hamilton. Uh, this is a brutal stretch in the schedule for the tie catch. You got BC that's a very good team. Then you've got Toronto. Uh much as it begrudges everyone in this town to say so, they're pretty darn good this year. You've got Ottawa that you're really now competing possibly for the final playoff spot with then Winnipeg who just clobbered Montreal last night and then Toronto again. That is a that is a grind that stretch.
6: Yeah, we're going to see what this team is made of. Uh in in it all starts tomorrow and you, you I mean you said it does <laughs> You can't can't really look past this game. You just gotta focus on on this one. But uh, it's it's uh, this next five games is really gonna tell where how the standings are gonna unfold this season. Um, so you know it's a good opportunity. At the same time, it's a challenge, but it's an opportunity. And do you. Uh,
0: we're just talking about this stretch. You've been in dressing rooms, you've been in Hamilton's dressing room, you've been in Saskatchewan, you've been you've been a guy who's been in a lot of football dressing rooms. When you there's no question. I know every player says, well, we take it one game at a time. And I believe that. But there's no question that guys look at the schedule and know what's coming. This has to be there there has to be an awareness of how tough a stretch this is coming up for these guys. They know what's lo- what's looming for them.
6: Yeah, you can't you can't help but but kind of be aware of What's happening in the big picture, but I honestly think when you're in a locker room, you approach every game believing that you're going to win that game and you have a chance to win that game. And uh, and, and I do think you get caught up in the day and in the moment, which is which is a good thing. Um, so I, I I think it's it is easy as a player to focus on this game, but yeah, you, you know, with just with us talking about it, you know they're they're going to be aware of it um, and. Uh, I'm sure the the coaches are, you know, kind of kind of laying it out as well. I know Coach uh, Steinhauer likes to break it up in six of the season, so um, uh, six game like three six game stretches, and now we're at the back half of the middle middle stretch. So mm. it's going to be really important to finish this uh, this middle six.
0: There is uh, Andy Fantuz, you can hear him on Ticats Audio Network right here on 900 CHML uh, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock against BC. Andy, really appreciate it. Have a great weekend.
6: Yeah, thanks Scott, you too.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Tomorrow, the McMaster Marauders kick off their 2023 football season hosting the Windsor Lancers, 7pm at Ron Joyce Stadium. And once again, McMaster Football is back here on 900CHML. You can catch the games here tomorrow. It's going to be online. After that, it'll be on regular radio. And calling the games this year, a guy who was a professional football player, a Jeopardy contestant, a Canada's smartest person, a businessman, a political candidate, now an analyst that's Pete Diakowski, and Steve Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome guys. Steve, Steve they got to send me more about your resume here. I'm 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 coming up lean on the resume for Steve Clark.
7: Yeah, that's uh, that's that's <laughs> quite the introduction. It's I, I love the fact that you know Peter is he's better looking than me, he's smarter than me, he's taller than me, he's fitter than me. It's just going to be a great year.
0: <laughs> uh no, just I I no joke
7: stop with... it.
8: The injustice is that Steve is going to be doing all the hard work and heavy lifting <laughs> during the uh, the play-by-play. I just get to chime in with the color analysis.
0: And I joke, of course, because Steve is a uh, very well-regarded, very well-known commentator around here, from doing Bulldogs and Niagara Ice Dogs and and football and all kinds of stuff. So he's mm-hmm. done Mac. So yes, yeah, Steve, Steve is Steve is no slouch. So welcome, guys. Appreciate uh, you joining us and good glad you're doing it this year. But Steve, you are jumping in here in an interesting time for McMaster because it has been a long, 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 long time since McMaster Marauders are starting a season after missing the playoffs two years in a row.
7: Oh, yeah. I think you got to go back to the uh, the 90s uh, before Greg Marshall came over and, and kind of took over the program for that to happen. And, yeah, last year and the year before were particularly frustrating, with last year being really frustrating because... You know, close games, inconsistent offense, you know, so close on so many times, but the end result was a two and six season and a season that had to go down as a, a vast disappointment in terms of missing the playoffs. So a lot to prove for this team this year.
0: Pete, you, you, in college, you played on a team that didn't lose a whole lot of games. Um, you had a few losses in the pros. How much, you know, expectations, I, I know that people wonder about expectations fans are going to have, but when you're coming off a tough season, what's it like in the dressing room to convince yourself the next time that you can actually win?
8: Well, first off, because you brought it up, go Tigers.
0: <laughs> LSU. Uh, <laughs> now,
8: secondly, you know, football is all about confidence. Confidence is as important as skill size and strength. And you don't get very far in the game. If you don't think that you're going to win any given contest. So by the time you get to the pro level, there's a, you know, ingrained confidence that all the players have. So, you know, in college football, it was a shock to the system if we ever did lose, because there weren't a whole lot of losses in my first year with the tiger cats i think i lost more games than i did in college uh my whole career and then by the halfway point of my second season i'd lost more games in college and high school combined Hmm. so that was that was a little different you know going back to the two three and 15 seasons we had back to back 07 and 08 but then we bounced back and made the playoffs No, as as a pro you expect to win every game you play although you know when you're on your way to a three and fifteen season, you start getting a lot of gallows humor in the locker room. You know, when you're, you know, two and ten or and and uh one more quarterback goes down, there is some realism that sets in. But no, for this McMaster team, I've got very high expectations. I'm not gonna sign up to do color analysis on a loser. You know, let's just call a spade a spade. So when I looked at the opportunity, I said, First, let me look at the roster. And you know, with Keegan Hall coming in. I'm seeing the next Kyle Quinlan, the next Marshall Ferguson. That's what you need to have a chance against the westerns in the OAU. So I, I like it. I'm I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, uh, Steve. This is is an interesting thing. Now I know that like height isn't everything. Height is just one measure, but McMaster has had. Weirdly, great success when they have tall quarterbacks, Adam Archibald and Kyle Quinlan and Ben Shapdalane, and you can go down the list. They, they, when they have a big guy behind center, for whatever reason, it's worked. Um, they now have Keegan Hall is a big kid. He's got a great arm. Uh, he looks excellent in practice for, what that, for whatever that's worth because that, you know in football, that's not worth a whole lot. What yeah. are your expectations here?
7: Well, I you know, I know Keegan well because uh, I saw him play a lot at at Nelson. And, and I know that, um, you know, he's a he's a very hard worker, both um on the field, and, you know, academically, um in the gym. like he he really is a sponge. He just wants to be the best uh, that he can. and um he he tutored under um former Western Mustang star, uh, Will Finch. And, and you know, big kid, six foot four, over 200 pounds. He can run. He can throw. Um, he's been waiting for his opportunity. He was the backup to Andres Dueck for two years. So he really does feel like it's his time. And I think he's ready to really, you know, embrace the challenge of being, as you said, you know, kind of that next great McMaster quarterback.
0: Pete, one of the things that uh, he was able to do, and the CFL, it's a great thing the CFL does. CFL teams offer opportunities for youth sports quarterbacks, some of them, uh, to come and train with them. He got a chance to train with the Thai Cats and spend time with Boo Levi Mitchell and all the rest of the guys. What do you think that does for a university quarterback to have that experience? How much of an impact do you think that has when they finally get back on the field in university, in college?
8: Well, we talked about swagger uh, or confidence and this you know that feeds right into a bit of swagger when the guy comes back to his locker room his university locker room after having a training camp with the pros that's important for a quarterback just that intangible psychological effect but then getting to learn under uh, a pro system getting to see role models who have been so successful in that role it gives them uh you know, additional knowledge, a, a different perspective on the game. They look at the decision-making that a guy like Bo Levi Mitchell uh, works through on a play-by-play basis. It's very helpful, and you can see the difference. You know, the guys who really step up. We, we've we had, uh, you know, some memorable uh, uh, QBs coming through camp. I think we had Marshall Ferguson, actually, uh, in the Cats camp, uh, you know, quite a few years ago. Pugnacious young guy. Uh, now he's taken that to the play-by-play role, and you can hear that fight in his voice, but I think he picked some of that up in the Ticats gap. Now, it's good for Keegan to come back to the team from that experience. He's going to have that swagger. you got to have that swagger as a QB. You know, it's a funny role on the team. You want your quarterback to be the guy who sits down at the poker table and makes some big mm. bets, and you also want him to be very smart.
6: Uh,
0: this year on 900 CHML for all McMaster games, words like pugnacious can be expected in the anal- analysis. <laughs> it, the, the, the level has been upped considerably with that one. Uh, Pete Diakowski, Steve Clark, uh, tomorrow, 7 o'clock, uh, streaming tomorrow because the Cats are also on, they'll be on the CHML regular radio, but then after that, uh, you can hear them on CHML all the time. Guys, thanks for doing this.
7: Thanks a lot, Scott. Can't wait for tomorrow night and the rest of the season.